text for the sermon this evening is Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. We will read those verses first, and then we'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. We read these this morning. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh at one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, And all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because... I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? 
But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now are ye the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant words. May God bless the reading of his word upon our hearts. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, there are any similarities between the text that we considered this morning for the Lord's Supper and this text that we consider this evening is an applicatory text following the Lord's Supper. Both of the texts contain a divinely inspired prayer made by the Apostle Paul. In both of these prayers, Paul is beseeching God, asking God for something. In both of these prayers, we consider verses 5 and 6 this evening and the 13th verse this morning, Paul sets forth some of the attributes of God. This morning, Paul set forth the attribute of hope. Verse 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. This evening, looking at verses 5 and 6, we see that the Apostle Paul describes God as the God of patience and consolation. Now the God of patience and consolation 
grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Different between these verses is what Paul is seeking. In the 13th verse, Paul prayed for joy. In verses 5 and 6, Paul's prayer is for unity. That you may be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Let's consider this text this evening under the theme, A Prayer to be Like-Minded. First, we'll consider that this is a request for unity. Second, we'll consider what is the source of the unity. And then third, the goal that we have, looking especially at verse 6, that we may glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Generally, then, what is the meaning of this petition that we offer with the Apostle Paul that the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus? That word translated like-minded means to be of one accord. It means to have the same thought as others, and thus to have unity with others. About what is it that the Apostle Paul desires that the church have the same thought? There are many different, many different things that people can have opinions about. Some things are important matters, and other things are more trivial matters. There can be differences of opinion about things that are more or less unimportant, sports teams. There can be differences of opinions about things that are more important, policies of the land, taxes, Men are even willing to send their sons off to fight wars over matters that they judge to be important. But the Apostle Paul in this text is not saying that, not praying that the members of the church would all have similarity of thought about things physical. But rather the concern of the Apostle was that the members of the congregation would be unified spiritually. There are room for differences of opinion about things physical, but spiritually the members of the church are to be one. For the members of the church all belong to, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the body of Jesus Christ. The fact that the concern of the Apostle Paul here is spiritual unity is the fact that he includes the phrase, according to Christ Jesus. 
How the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. And that could more literally be translated this way, after the example of Christ. Be like-minded one with another according to or after the example of Jesus. And yet, more can be said here about what it means to be spiritually unified. You see, when we speak of spiritual unity, there are then two or subcategories beneath that broad category of spiritual unity. There is unity, spiritual unity, of the truth and there is spiritual unity in practice or in how one lives. Paul, in praying for spiritual unity, is petitioning God for both of these. He's praying that there be unity on the basis of truth. That, that comes out here in this text. It's evident from the sixth verse where he prays that ye may with one mind glorify God. And petitioning that they would with one mind glorify God. It's evident that the Apostle Paul desired that they not have differences of understanding about the Word of God but pray that there would be unity of understanding what God has revealed about Himself in the Holy Scriptures. And so this prayer that the Apostle Paul gives for the saints in the Roman congregation was a prayer that they would be united on the firm foundation of truth. It was a petition that the people of God would understand truth, that they would stand for truth, and that they would then submit unto truth. If there is no unity on the basis of truth, then there will be no organic oneness or unity to the congregation. But unity as it is exemplified and as it is lived out in the members of the church starts on the foundation of doctrinal oneness. So that first of all was his petition that the saints of Rome know truth and love it. But then as well it was a petition that they be one in their living. One in seeking one another and loving one another. One in the organic life of the church. That comes out in this text as well. Verse 6 that ye may with one mind and one mouth 
glorify God. It's not just about what you understand with your mind, but it's also unity is also exemplified in what you do with your mouth. The context as well shows that Paul is concerned here about the saints actively living in unity. Verse 1, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. And then verse 7, which follows immediately after our text, Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And so it is clear from these verses that the Apostle Paul is not only concerned about the knowledge of the saints of Rome, he's not only concerned that they know truth and stand on truth, but he's also concerned that they live out of that truth, that the strong would bear up the infirmities of the weak, that they would receive one another, that is, that they would have fellowship one with another. These two aspects of spiritual unity go hand in hand. Where there is doctrinal unity, there is then the organic unity of the church. The doctrinal oneness of the church leads to the organic unity of the congregation. And so what then specifically is the Apostle Paul praying for here. Can we make this more practical in our lives? As we join with the Apostle Paul in making this petition, for what are we, are we praying? Well, first of all, in making this petition, we are confessing we don't naturally have unity. Paul would not teach us to pray asking that we be like-minded one toward another if by nature we already did this. But the very fact that Paul prays for the Roman saints that God would grant them to be like-minded one toward another meant for the Roman congregation that there was a deficiency in unity. And just as it was long ago, so it is today. The starting point is recognizing this is a problem. There is a lack of unity. There is a lack of being like-minded one toward another in according to Jesus Christ. If we do not recognize that lack, then we will never cry out with urgency, pleading of God to give us that gift. That in the first place 
we are confessing specifically. Secondly, what we are asking God specifically in this is for God to be gracious in giving us the gift of unity. And that comes out from that word grant. May the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another. And the idea here of God granting this unto the Roman congregation has this idea that the Romans did not deserve that gift of being like-minded one toward another. God would have done no injustice unto that congregation if He had permitted them to bite and devour one another. And again, as it was for them, so it is for us. We do not deserve the gift of unity. This is a gift that God in His grace and in His mercy bestows upon His people in His tender compassion for them. And so we beseech of God graciously look down upon us, pity us in our lowest state, and grant unto us to be like-minded one toward another. And then what are we beseeching God for here? In the third place, we're asking God to direct our eyes more and more unto Jesus Christ. That's what Paul prays here, that God would grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. And we said that that could be translated according to the example of Christ Jesus. So the idea is this, that if we are to exemplify, live out unity as part of the New Testament church, We must do so according to the standard that is set by Jesus Christ. The standard for unity is not determined by powerful or influential or wealthy individuals, but the standard for unity is determined by Jesus Christ Himself. And so if we as a congregation will learn how to be like-minded one toward another, it is necessary that our faith be directed unto God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. According to His perfect example, love the church so much that He gave Himself for her. And then what are we petitioning God as we ask Him that He would grant us to be like-minded one toward another? Number four, we're asking God to give us the ability to recognize the diversity of gifts that He gives unto the church. 
that comes out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that there is one body of Jesus Christ, but that one body is made up of many different members. And the many different members of that church are to recognize the positions, the God-ordained positions that they have within the whole body. And so the eye cannot say to the hand or to the foot that it has no need of it, but the eye is to recognize that the hand and the foot contribute something different unto that whole body. And so it is that in the New Testament church, God gives unto us diversity of gifts. A petition that we would be like-minded one toward another does not mean that diversity of gifts ceases. It does not mean that we're petitioning that God would grant to everybody the same measure of gifts and abilities. But it's a prayer that God would give us the strength to use these abilities for the good of the whole congregation. If God gives unto us five talents, then use those five talents for the good of the whole. And if God gives unto us one talent, then do not be envious of the five talent person, but use that one talent for the good of the whole. May God grant that you would be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ. Make it a matter of prayer that God would give unto you opportunity to show love and hospitality one toward another. That following the instruction of the seventh verse, you would receive one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Pray that God give you understanding of the needs of those who are weak so that you who are strong can bear the infirmities of the weak and not please yourselves. Where does this unity come from? We've confessed already that the source of this unity is not found in you or in me. But the source of this unity is found in God and in God alone. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another. It is noteworthy here that the Apostle Paul, in describing the source of this spiritual unity, describes God as being the God of patience and consolation. One might ask the question, out of all of the divine attributes that the Apostle could have spoken of here, why does he speak of the fact that God is the God of 
of patience and consolation. It probably is not the first thing that comes to our mind when we think of what is necessary for establishing and maintaining unity in the church. If we were to think about what is important for the maintenance of unity in the church, perhaps we would think, first of all, of truth. That if there is no truth, then there will not be unity. And so we would insert in there, now the God of truth grant unto you to be like-minded one toward another. Or maybe we would think that an indispensable virtue for unity is love. And so we would insert in there now the God of love grant you to be like-minded one toward another. Now certainly truth and love and many other virtues besides are important and necessary for the establishing and the maintaining of unity in the church, but the Apostle Paul, guided by the Spirit of truth, does not in this verse speak of truth or love. He speaks of God as the God of patience and consolation. Why so? For us to understand why the Apostle speaks of consolation and patience we do well to consider what is the opposite of patience and consolation. The opposite of patience is being brash, being quick to speak, quick to judge, being generally an impatient individual. The opposite of consolation, comfort, is fear, anxiety, distress. Can you see, beloved, how the opposite of patience and consolation are notorious thieves that would rob the church of her blessed Unity. If the members of the church do not have consolation and comfort, but instead have fear and anxiety, then that will not lead to the church being a unified congregation. What do fearful and anxious people do? They hide. Or consider the opposite of patience. If the congregation is made up of brash and ruthless or judgmental individuals, where then will will be the unity of the church? And so can you see then why the Apostle Paul by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks of God as being the source of patience and consolation. 
It's exactly because we need the God of patience and consolation to grant unto us personally these virtues so that we might then be able to be like-minded one toward another. And so you can see then the important place of patience and consolation as they relate to the unity of the church. But perhaps one is not convinced of the importance of patience and consolation as they relate to the unity of the church. Perhaps one insists it doesn't matter how I live my personal, private life. Regardless of whether I am patient in my private life or impatient, regardless of whether I am a fearful and anxious individual in my private life or I am a person who has consolation and comfort, that doesn't matter for the public life of the congregation. My private life is distinct, separate from the public life that we live together as a congregation. And so as long as I'm not outrightly sinning against the other members of the congregation, as long as I'm not gossiping about the other members, hurting, slandering the other members of the church, then it doesn't matter whether or not in my personal and private life I have fears and anxiety and can be an impatient individual. Maybe one makes that argument. then what we must remember is that when we come to church and we enter through the back doors into the narthex, we take our depraved nature with us. The sins that we commit in the privacy of our homes have implications for our ability to be like-minded one with another. We take with us to church, as it were, the weight or the baggage of our sins. And the baggage of these sins weighs down upon us heavily and prevents us from seeking the unity of the church. If one is fearful, then they hide and do not, according to verse 7, receive one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Pursuing the unity of the church does not begin when we cross through the back doors into the church on Sunday morning. But pursuing the unity of the church is a lifelong, daily struggle. The way that we live in our personal lives and in our family lives has implications for ecclesiastical unity. 
oneness in the church of Jesus Christ begins in our hearts and in our souls. Have we personally tasted of the goodness of God? Can we testify that God is the God of consolation and patience? It is only when we have tasted of God's consolation and patience unto us that then we are given the strength to be able to live in unity and fellowship with the other members of the church. And so pray, beloved members of the congregation, that God would open up your eyes so that you may behold God's patience unto you. He knows all your sins. He knows how often you have murmured and complained and objected to His providence in your life. He knows how often you have sinned against your spouse, against a fellow church member, And yet the God of patience suffers long with His people and is not quickly roused to anger against His own. Have you tasted of the fact that God is good? Can you testify that God is the God of perfect consolation, the God of comfort? He's the source of comfort. And the source of comfort that He gives unto you is that you belong in body and in soul, in life and in death, unto Jesus Christ. As the God of perfect consolation, He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into this world who died so that God could receive you into His home and into His fellowship. May God give you that knowledge of His consolation and patience. And being comforted with those thoughts, then be able to be like-minded one toward another. The goal of this unity, as it's taught to us in this text, is that we might glorify God. Verse 6 teaches us the goal that ye may, with one mind and one mouth, glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, how the logic of this text is circular, how it starts from God and then comes down to us and then goes back up to God. We beseech God, we go to God asking Him as the God of consolation and patience that He would give unto us, grant unto us to be like-minded so it comes from God, and God in His grace grants this gift of unity unto 
the church. But then for what purpose does God give this gift of unity unto the church? It's so that the church can render back unto the Lord grateful returns of love that we may with one mouth and with one mind glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of seeking unity in the church upon this earth is not so that we can carve out a more pleasant experience or pleasant environment for us as earthly members of the church. The goal of seeking the unity of the church is not primarily so that it can be a more pleasing place for us, for we and our children to gather Sabbath day after Sabbath day. But the goal of seeking unity is so that our Creator God, who shaped the foundations of the earth, who who created us out of the dust and formed us in His own image, might be glorified. He alone is worthy of praise. May He be glorified For he is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the uncreated, the everlasting Lord of hosts, the one who changes not and who keeps his covenant even to a thousand generations. He is the one who delivers us from our sins the one who fills us with all joy, the one who gives us hope of life everlasting. So unto him be all glory, praise, and honor forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Holy Spirit who gives unto us consolation and patience from on high. Wilt Thou strengthen us that we might bear up faithfully under the many trials of this life. Wilt Thou give unto us hearts that earnestly seek the the unity of thy church. And wilt thou forgive us when we fall short of that mark. For Jesus' sake we pray this. Amen.